this boot up. Let me, while this is booting up, let me pray for us so we can go ahead and jump right in. Um, uh, God, again, we have the privilege of uh, diving into these things once more and understanding what wise resolution looks like, uh, reconciliation looks like, founded on the gospel. And so, uh, as we've already said, it's so much easier to teach about these things than it is to actually do them. I'm just reminded of that constantly myself. Um, and that no amount of mastery of the principles at an intellectual level somehow suffices to be a master in practice. And so we pray that uh, as, the, as the master that you would form us in these things and um, that you would be gracious to us even in our efforts uh, that are incomplete and that fail uh, for the good of your church, for the good of our families and our souls. So be with us just over the next couple of minutes as we discuss some of these things. Um, we ask in the authority and the power of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me get in here. Fingerprint accepted. Yes. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So if you will recall from last time, we left off going through the, uh, we, we talked about the difference between saying, I'm sorry which is just to say, I feel a certain way because you feel a certain way, or I feel a certain way because there are these certain consequences, uh, and actually confessing sin, repenting, and asking for forgiveness. Pretty large difference, uh, and, and there's a lot of, uh, well, there's multiple differences, and we put a little chart up there, and hopefully some of you had time to scribble it down. If not, I can see the slides, but then we moved into a biblical framework for Confession to repentance. I called it the eight A's, very Southern Baptist to have an A for each point, but I don't have the clicker. All right. I now have the clicker. Okay. All right, so this is the first slide that we already went over. I'm just going to briefly rehearse it for those of you who are not here so you don't just get the second half. Uh, the, and again, this is not some kind of wooden um, framework. You don't want to sound like a machine trying to recite these steps. Don't do that. Uh, this, is a, this is just a scaffolding within which to situate good confession, good repentance. So first, address everyone involved. So if you sinned against multiple people, you need to go... Make it right with multiple people. Um, if you sin publicly, for example, let's say I get up here and lose my mind and shout profanity, well, then I need to publicly apologize because I, won't, I don't want anyone to think that that's just status quo. If I scream and yell at my kids, I'm rude to my wife, I need to apologize there at the dinner table when we have people over because I don't want people to think, well, that's just just what he thinks is okay. And especially someone that people are supposed to be looking to as an example, I definitely don't want that to be the example. What I want to be the example is when I've sinned, uh, I want people to know that uh, I, I'm not okay with that. I'm not going to sit with that. Uh, and so I want to try to make, make it clear uh, by confessing widely. That Luke 19.8 reference, if you recall, is the reference to Zacchaeus who went and restored all of the folks. He addressed everyone that he had um, defrauded. The second, avoid the ifs and buts. Remember these ruin good confessions. Um, they may be true, but they're not relevant when you're owning sin. Again, if you hadn't slapped me in the face, I wouldn't have punched you in the face. That's probably true. Also, if you're trying to own that sin, it's not relevant. It, ifs and buts say, I'm kind of responsible, but it's really kind of because of what you did, actually. And if you hadn't done it like this, 
And one very common example that I did not give last time is someone who reacts poorly to some kind of feedback. And they're like, I'm sorry I reacted like that. But if you had phrased it differently, I wouldn't I wouldn't have done that. You know, it was you who had a bad delivery that caused me to <clears throat> snap or whatever. Exactly. Ifs and buts. Um, three, admit specifically. We're great about admitting vaguely. I'm sorry for the thing. You know, I'm really sorry about what happened. Really sorry about what happened last night. Well, what, 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 what exactly happened last night? Uh, what exactly happened in the car? What was it that you are admitting to specifically? You don't need to leave anything for someone to wonder about what it is that you are owning. That can slip into I'm sorry space. Um, sorry about the thing might mean I'm just sorry you got your feelings hurt, but you need to suck it up. You know, that's not a good, that's not, not good here. Then you want to acknowledge the hurt. Depending on what this is, there might not be a ton of hurt, but if you've done something that actually hurt someone, um, you don't need to tell someone to suck it up, buttercup. You, you need to say, you need to let them sit with their pain or frustration or hurt. Um, and you need to understand that uh, you may have caused some relational and personal wounds by what you've done. And just as if I were to stab somebody with a knife and just tell someone to put a Band-Aid on it and get over it, well, it doesn't work that way. And so you need to be honest about the consequences of what you've done. Okay, so that's the first page of the confession and repentance, the first four. Here's a second four. Now we're getting into the new territory. Uh, so the fourth, uh, excuse me, the fifth step here is accept the consequences. So I want to hear everyone hear me very, very clearly. Everyone hear me very clearly. Um. Sometimes, even when you are forgiven of something, there are nevertheless consequences. Okay? There are consequences. There are things, and again, I'll just use myself as an example, that if I were to do in my role as pastor certain things, a wide variety of things, um, that were sinful in certain ways, I could come, I could ugly cry, weep and wail, be truly repentant, receive everyone's forgiveness, and... I would need to step down as a pastor for certain things. I'm not saying other things. Sin has consequences. And part of confessing and owning sin is owning the consequences of the sin. Because what it says is, listen, I understand the gravity of what I've done here. Like, I understand that I messed up. I'm willing to own those consequences. Um, and what I'm sorry says is I'm not willing to own consequences. Saying I'm sorry doesn't own consequences. It just says this is regrettable. This is really a regrettable set of circumstances here. What a sad state of affairs. I really am sorry. Whereas this says, no, I'm going to accept the consequences for this because this is what I did. Like I'm owning my sin here. And so even if there is forgiveness offered, there may be consequences in life. Your boss may genuinely forgive you and then you may genuinely get fired. And that's not inconsistent because we're not talking about sin not having any consequences. We're talking in forgiveness if someone is forgiving you, they are canceling a relational debt, but that doesn't mean there are no consequences. Any questions about that? Because I understand that that can be tense sometimes. People say, well, I thought you forgave me. Why, therefore, fill in the blank. And any questions about accepting consequences when you step up and own sin like this? Okay. Another huge difference. The next one, alter your behavior. Repentance is an implicit promise. Words are tied to future actions. So again, we, I gave the example of the person standing in front of me who just smacks me in the face. Boom! I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I'm so repentant. I say, yes, I would. And they go, thank you. 
boom, and they hit me in the face again. I'm like, goodness gracious, what are you doing? I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I, boom, again, over and over and over. You might start to think that the words that person's saying, maybe they're not truly repentant. Because repentance is, again, turning away, not to be confused with reforming your life, not to being confused with pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, but it is turning to a person, Christ, it is pressing into grace, and that grace transforms our hearts and directs our steps. But if I'm truly repentant, I'm going to seek to alter my behavior. I'm sorry, says, eh, you know, it's just kind of the way it's going to be. Okay, sometimes your boss at work says, I'm sorry. This is just how it's going to be. Like, I really am. I don't like it either, but this is what we're going to do. I don't make the calls. I just say, yes, sir, to the people who... The big wigs who wear the suits. Okay? I'm sorry. We're not going to alter this behavior, and you're not going to alter anything either. All right? But in, in, in repentance, we want to alter our behavior. We want to seek to avoid repeating the same thing uh, if, we can, if we can avoid it, uh, as best we can. Let me say it that way, as best that we can. Now, I'm not saying, I promise I will never do this again. Don't make like the little kids promise. I'm going to go in my room and never come out. I promise I'll never say it again the rest of my life. I'll never slip up. I promise I'll never have another sin against you. Because we all know that that's just not true. But, it's, but if you can sketch maybe a, a, a potential way forward or at least acknowledge how you're going to try to think about something differently moving forward, uh, that can be super helpful. Uh, then you have ask for forgiveness. Like I said last time, when my son was at school, I sent him in there to apologize. I was proud that he asked his, you know, he, he, well, he said, he said he was sorry to his teacher for the last, what he had done the other day. And I was proud that he had the courage to do that, followed up with his teacher. And she said, yes, Will came to me and said he was sorry for his disrespect the other day. I was very proud. Then I asked him, son, did you ask her for forgiveness? Because we practiced that, you know, in our home. And he goes, dad, no one says that part. Okay, exactly. No one does um, because it uh, gives the other person an opportunity to ghost you. Gives the other person an opportunity to say no and continue to hold that over your head. It relinquishes control of your apology and confession and says, please, I need you to provide me something that I can't provide myself. Where I'm sorry keeps all the cards in your hand. Okay? I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And then finally, allow time for healing. Sometimes it is simply unrealistic to, um, to, to ask for forgiveness and expect that on the spot. Okay? Especially if you've hurt someone really, really, really badly. Because what you don't want is this cheap version of forgiveness from someone where they just say something because they feel conversationally compelled to. Well, if I don't say yes, it's going to be awkward. Well, if I don't say... Because at that point, you may not actually have time for that. And so depend, if you did something that you thought was relatively minor, not in the standpoint of, from this perspective at not being sin, but you know, something that probably should not send someone into counseling or grieving or something like that. Um, you know, you might, you might make a judgment call here about how exactly you're going to ask for forgiveness. Or you might say, hey, I hope that you can work towards forgiving me um, as I seek to, you know, alter my behavior and then follow up with that person, okay? Sometimes, so like, let's just take a really good example. Say an affair, broken marriage covenant. You know, that person's like, all right, will you please forgive me? Yes, all right, let's get back to normal. Like, eh. Not exactly how it happens, right? So that's not how that works. Um, there is time. There, there, needs, there needs to be healing. Someone might even say, I'm working towards forgiving you. I'm working on processing some of these feelings. I feel so betrayed. I feel so hurt. I don't want to stay here, okay? I'm moving towards that. Uh, I just don't know that, I'm, just don't know that I'm, I'm there yet, but I have the desire to be there, okay? And you need to respect that person who's, who is moving in that direction. You don't need to say, hey, come on, come on. What about Jesus died for you? What happened for 70 times 7? Would you read the New Testament? Come on. 
that, that, again, that's saying what I did really wasn't that serious. You need to get over it. That's what it implicitly communicates, okay? All right, so let me pause here. We've gone through these eight A's uh, and just open it up very briefly. In your personal experience with confession and forgiveness, and I wish I could put all these on the same slide, but they wouldn't uh, fit and be readable. Um, what is what have you found of these to be either the most difficult to do or the most easy or the easiest to overlook? What do you think? Out of this slide and the one the one before, which we've now looked at twice, what, what do you think are the either the most difficult to do or the most easy or the easiest to overlook? What do you think? I think admitting specifically. Okay. Mm, okay, good. Yes. Okay, yeah, good. Good, good. Yeah, so for the camera, it was admitting specifically. That's the point where you get down and uh, really, really expose and own something um, specific uh, in particular as opposed to just something very general. Good. What else? What else has seemed seems the most difficult for you or the most easily overlooked aspect of this? Yeah. Asking for forgiveness, okay? And tell me about that. Why is that? Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It does take some humility and uh, so even maybe in some cases some courage. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. Well, I mean, because like I said, you're not keeping all the chips, you know, in your hands. You're, you're, you're you know, you, you lose control of that at that moment, which is good, which is, that's what we, that's what we see in the gospel. We're, we are asking for God to accomplish something that we cannot do. We can, and our sorrow does not buy us forgiveness. We, we must receive forgiveness with an empty hand. Good. What else? Maybe one more thing. What have you found to be the most difficult or the most easily overlooked aspect? Yeah. To play to your strength? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, good. Right, yes. And we talked about that. We've talked about that once or twice that sometimes making amends and changing our behaviors is easier than asking for forgiveness um, uh, and, and even allowing time for things uh, because we get to do something. Uh, we, we get to work. I mean, it's not exactly how you said it here, but you, you can kind of work your, you can work yourself back into good graces or you can work yourself into this person does, deserves to forgive me now because of how much I've righted the ship. Now, only a, only a maniac wouldn't forgive me now. Now it's their problem. Now, now I'm entitled to their forgiveness because how I've worked it off, not how it works. But certainly it gives us, again, that's, it's the other side of I'm sorry. We get to cling to our control in the reconciliation. Um, good. Anything else there before we move on? I've got a fly circling my head if you're wondering what I'm doing. Anything else there? Yeah, Noah. Hey, Red. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, just let the water keep going under the bridge till it's out of sight. Yeah, great point. Yeah, certainly challenging to step up. Yeah, Red, did you have a comment? Yeah, good. Yeah, so Red's pointing out kind of the myth of self-forgiveness. And I think I understand what people say that a lot. You need to forgive yourself, but it's not really possible. Forgive yourself. Christ has already forgiven us, and we need to ask for forgiveness. But forgiving yourself, it's not, and it, that's really kind of code language for like three or four other things that that could possibly mean. Okay? Um, you don't forgive yourself. You embrace forgiveness, and you live in light of that. That's what that is. You don't forgive yourself. That's not how that works. Okay. Um, okay. So just some final reflections here. Um, as I mentioned last time, do not use your confession as an opportunity to point out the sin of others, regardless how clear it is. So that's that old husband and wife. I'm in bed at the end of the day. You say, oh, I'm so sorry for this. Would you please forgive me? Yes. And then it's like, well, you, know, you got anything? You got anything to say? You know, you got something to add here, honey? Nope. It's like, okay, well, good night. Um, don't, don't use your confession as, some, as a platform to get to speak to someone else's sin. Now that I've done that, let's talk about you, right? Now, there is certainly a place for pointing out the speck in your brother or sister's eye, but it's not while you're confessing your sin. It's the best practice, I'm just telling you. you because that is the only way, the only way that will come across is you owned up to something to check the box to get that out of the way so that you could call somebody on the carpet. Save that for a different conversation. Um, so do you have, another thing here, do you have genuine sorrow over your actions? Are you genuinely remorseful and are you genuinely repentant and not just sad? Um, because going through all this without actually having remorse for your sin it's just a waste of time. It could even perhaps make things worse. I mean, it, I'm going through these steps. I don't really care. I don't really even think what I did was wrong. I'm dressing this up really nicely. I'm saying all of the right things. But it's really, a, if you're doing it this way and you don't, I mean, you're lying. You're looking at someone and just lying. Owning sin that you don't think you're actually responsible for. Asking for forgiveness when you don't think you need it. You're just going along to get along. Um, and as difficult as that conversation might be, you know, because, hey, here's the thing. Sometimes oh, there are many, many times where people are very, very hurt and no one has sinned. 
Okay? People get their feelings hurt all the time. Um, and just because someone is hurt and just because someone is angry and just because someone is sad, it doesn't mean necessarily that sin happened. Um, and some people are so quick to apologize and recite, just say something to make things better that they don't even stop and wonder, like, have I, have I sinned here? Um, is there sin? Maybe I need to just own up to sin just to get to, to make things go away here. And I would say, do not do that. Don't do that. You want time to search and see, search your own heart and see, have I sinned? Maybe even ask other people. Yes, sir. Jesse James. Yes, absolutely. It certainly is. Great point. Great point. Um, okay, any questions about that before we move into the gentle restoration side? So this is the moving towards somebody side in confrontation of some kind. So now we've kind of gone from taking one side of things. Now we're going to look at the other side. Before we move to that side, any any questions or comments about what we've looked at? Yes, sir. Mm. Mm. Right. Right, right, right. Right, correct. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so sorry to hear that. And it, I mean, sadly, it goes to what we started off the, the, the course here with that everyone learned reconciliation somehow, some way from somebody. And if it was, um, you know, if reconciliation was, you know, well, I did, well, I helped out too, or, well, you know, it's not, you know, I said this because I didn't think you were going to walk in at that moment, and I was doing this, even though, you know, it's really kind of your fault. If you hadn't walked in, you know, wouldn't we wouldn't be having this conversation, so really, you're the one who's, so, well, um, again, excuse making. This is a different version of if, but, whatever, even without those words, certainly, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Super, super, super tough there. Anything else before we move on to the gentle restoration? Let me make one thing explicit that uh, I don't, I, I think, I, I mean, I've said, I believe, but I don't think I've said it explicitly as I want. Um, if you come, I, I find myself skipping this step, actually, um, which is asking forgiveness for God, from God, excuse me, before I go ask forgiveness for someone else. Um, 
that's why I put the Psalm 51 on the last slide where David, after committing adultery with Bathsheba and sending Uriah to die, what does he say in his prayer to God? Against you and you only have I sinned. Like, wait, what? What do you mean against God and God only? It looks like from what I can tell, there's a dead man and, uh, and another man's wife in your bed. It appears that maybe you've you know, sinned against more than, than just God. But the point there is, he understands that the gravitas of his sin is primarily before God, before it's before anyone else. And for me, it's easier to, uh, hey, Terry, good to see you, buddy, my man. For me, it is easier to skip over um, asking God for forgiveness uh, and just go ask for this transactional forgiveness of somebody else. Um, and I don't know why that is. I just, it just seems to me that the prime, I lose sight that the primary offense in my sin is before God, before it is anyone else. It seems to me in that moment that the, the horizontal sin is the bigger deal, the reconciliation. But really, if David can say, after, again, murdering a man and taking his wife to the Lord against you and you only have I sinned, we need to get our perspective right in terms of who our sin is the biggest, uh, uh, who, is, who it is chiefly against, first and foremost. All right, well, let's move into gentle restoration. Gentle restoration here. Um, Galatians 6.1, good text here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, should meaning those who are walking in the Spirit, uh, not those whose passions are stirred up because of maybe what has happened, but those who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, I still have that up here. Here we go. Lest you too be tempted. Okay? Now, this is a very interesting one right out of Proverbs. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So just let me tell you what I've found. People who really, really want to grow in the Christian life crave candid, honest, sober-minded, wise feedback on their lives. And when they find it, it's like someone finding a pot of gold. Here's why. Number one, most people don't want it. Number two, most people don't know how to give it. So when someone's, what it is, it's an opportunity to like level up in a video game, except it's real life. You have someone say, hey, I'm looking in on your life and here's what I see. I think you could, there's opportunity for you to move forward here. I see how you do X, Y, or Z. And if I'm honest, we're going to confront this person. But notice what it says. It says a scoffer responds to, to, to reproof, responds to correction um, in a way that is very different than someone who is wise. They get angry. And this proverb saying, watch out. It's not saying don't, re don't ever re reprove somebody. It's saying if you don't want to be hated, you're, there are certain people where you're going to go rebuke and you're going to say it as nicely and as kindly as possible. And all they're going to do is say, I can't believe you came at me like that. What are you, the Holy Spirit? Huh? How are you? How dare you judge me? That's how the scoffer responds to someone trying to inspect sin. In their life, try to point, point out sin, okay? Where the wise man says, no, 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 no. If I'm sinning, please point, come point it out. I don't want to live in blind spots. I don't want to have a bunch of blind spots of sin that I don't know about because someone is too cowardly to come say something to me. 
And some of the some of the things that I appreciate the most that people have come and told me were, I think, very awkward for them to say. And I've heard it all and I've had to try to incorporate that um, even as a even as a pastor and even the way some of us sometimes I speak, sometimes the way I, I carry myself or whatever. Um, I've heard people say, man, if I'm honest, I can't exactly put my finger on it. But sometimes you just come across to fill in the blank. So I really appreciate that. I want to dial that down. You know, I don't want to sound too confident or too authoritarian or too, you know, whatever. I appreciate that. I, I don't I don't want that. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Oh, here's what we're going to do. Let's just not tell them. Let's not tell them because it would hurt their feelings. They would be sad. I can see them crying right now if I said this. I could see the, how devastated they would be if I point this out. So let's just quietly pray to God that he would change things. Let's just keep it hidden. Let's love them. You know, let's, we love them. And let's just, let's just not say anything. No, better is open rebuke than a love that just consigns someone to their sin and, and what just watches it happen. Trying to love them, want to be supportive, want to be a positive influence. Those are the words that you hear. Of course, everyone wants to be loving and supportive and a positive influence. Great. So openly rebuke people who are just walk, who are walking in sin. Okay, again, if you are driving towards a cliff, no, let me rephrase. If you see someone driving and the road is washed out, let's say it this way. You have knowledge of that. You see something that they don't see. Is the loving thing to do to not try to wave them down because you think you're going to annoy them? Or you think you're going to anger them because some doofus is on the side of the road waving their arms? Probably the loving thing to do is to do whatever you can to point out that the direction they're headed is going to end in disaster. And that may be awkward. It may be awkward. But wise people appreciate that. Wise people appreciate that. Um, and better is open rebuke than hidden love. Because here's what, here's um, a, Kim, a Kim Scott. She wrote a book called Radical Candor. She's a CEO. At, or no, she was not a CEO. She was, um, anyway, she was an executive at Google and Facebook. And uh, she, she basically did not correct an employee, give him any feedback. He was terrible. He was really doing a bad job. But, um, but he was also a, a more sensitive guy. So instead of correcting this man, she just kind of let him go on doing a bad job. She didn't want to hurt his feelings. Didn't want to devastate him um, or make him erupt in anger or whatever. So she just kind of let it go. Well, then guess what? She fired him. She had to fire him. And in that exit interview, he, she said some of the most haunting words an employee has ever, or at that point an ex-employee ever told me, said, um, why didn't you say anything to me? Why didn't you let me know? You mean to tell me that you've been seeing this in my life and you just never said anything? So don't let that be on you. Don't let someone be able to say, even if you say, this probably isn't going to go well because there's one of these scoffer types. Think of it from the other perspective. Are you going to allow them to get down the road? Would they be able to justifiably look back at you, point the finger and say, why didn't you say anything? When you saw when you saw me doing that, why didn't you, you? You're telling me that you noticed that that you thought it was wrong and you didn't say anything because it would be awkward or you thought you might hurt my feelings. I can understand that, but hey, do you know how much you would have helped me if you would have the courage to actually say something? Okay. 
Diedrich Bonhoeffer, listen to this quote, read this quote with me. Nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Okay? So this is not language that we're, this is not the way we're usually used to thinking about these things is what I would say. But I would suggest it's the way we need to, uh, to think about it. Um, all right, so let me just I have another one of these charts here that's going to come in because I didn't want to redo my, my slide. Um, and let's just talk about the difference between stoking the fire and, and gentle restoration. This is kind of be like the I'm sorry versus repentance chart. Let's just talk about this briefly together, okay? First, someone who's going to stoke the fire when they're confronting someone in sin looks forward to confrontation itself. They feel like they are the enforcers of divine justice. They love a good battle. They love a good fight. It's time to meet it out. They are Russell Crowe and Gladiator. They are there to be the be-all, end-all. They are looking forward to the tension itself. They thrive on it. It gives them existential energy. They want the confrontation. Ah, here I am, a social gladiator. Gentle, re gentle uh, restoration sees this as a regrettable necessity. I, don't, I wish I didn't have to do this. I don't want to go confront this person. This is going to be difficult. There might be consequences. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not someone who's always looking for a fight. Okay? I'm not someone who doesn't know how to live uh, if we're not in war. You know, I'm someone who knows how to live if we're not in wartime, unlike some people. Stoking the fire, gently restoring. Stoking the fire, someone goes primarily based on irritation or anger. That's what I'm going to do. My anger is going to fuel me as I charge into battle here. Versus someone who's gently restoring, which is those who are spiritual, by the way, those who are walking in the spirit, not like those who are you know, just happen to be a Christian or something, is based on a love seeking understanding. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I have, I've, I've, noticed, I've noticed this, and I was just wondering if you'd be open to d discussing it. Is that something that you're maybe interested in doing? I want to help me understand. Someone who goes and stokes the fire... Um, has the primary goal of a communicating a grievance. This is what you did. Own up. I can't believe you did this. Own up. Someone who's trying to restore, their primary goal is restoring a person to holiness or restoring a relationship. They're not worried about who wins and who feels like they win and who feels like they lose. What they're looking at is restoration. They're okay with taking one on the chin. They don't have to have every word in the conversation go precisely their way. They don't have to have their hand feel like it's being they're raised as a victor at the end of things. What they want is restoration. Um, stoking the fire can be done with little to no self-examination. You don't have to go through any of the start with yourself, get a set your priorities, reset your perspectives. Someone who's going to stoke the fire and just makes things worse, all they got to have is an object of their anger and uh, some time to go to go yell and scream at somebody. Versus someone who's trying to gently restore, it's preceded by careful examination of the heart. Why is this angering me so much? Is this righteous anger or is my pride hurt? Okay. Well, if this person said something to me that was wrong, even if it was wrong of them to say that, was, is there any truth in it? Maybe, there's, maybe it's 99% wrong, but is there some truth that I could learn from? Maybe. Maybe so. Careful. Uh, where do I need to? Do I, is there something that I need to repent of, even if it was one percent of 
the conflict? Did I handle myself poorly? And is there an opportunity for me to repent and ask for forgiveness? Finally, little attention is given to timing, style, or exact content of confrontation. So when should I confront, let's say you're a, a woman, you need to you know, confront your husband about something, or you're a husband coming home, maybe you need to confront your wife about something, a friend confronting a friend about something. Here I know, right when someone is exhausted and they've had a bad day, this is the time to confront them. Because there's no time like the present, and we don't want them to sin any longer. So that's what I'm going to do. Right now. The time is now. Okay? Noah, it's a good word, Proverbs says, in season. It is a word, Proverbs says, that is fitly spoken. So when things are spoken, how they are spoken, and what is spoken all matter. And I know that's going out the window with social media culture these days. Doesn't matter how things are said. Doesn't matter the context which they're said. That's just, that's just foolish. Everyone knows that that matters. Everyone knows that that matters. Gentle restoration is preceded by a careful consideration of the best timing, style, and content of confrontation. It says, hmm, I probably shouldn't send a text message about this. Probably not a great, this is not an email conversation. This is a we need to talk conversation. Um, go in love. This is the do unto others, Matthew seven twelve. there at the bottom. Go in love or don't go at all. And if you can't go through the fruits of the Spirit and that lines up with what you're planning on doing, wait until you can. The fruit of the Spirit. Am I going to go with love? Some sense of joy. Not because of what has happened, but I'm looking at my life in Christ, the forgiveness that I have, and therefore I have something to offer them. Peace, patience, kindness. Are those going to characterize how I go to this person? Okay. Now let me ask again, same thing that I asked earlier. Of the fire-soaking behaviors and restoration and gently restoring... What are what behaviors, uh, which fire stoking behaviors are the easiest to fall into and, or which gentle restoration behaviors are the hardest? What do you think in your personal experience, calling people out, confronting them in your life? What's been the easiest to fall into or the most difficult to do on the right side of the screen there? What do you think? Actually doing it? Okay. So the most difficult thing is actually, and why is that? Why is it? It's an extremely regrettable necessity. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I don't like conflict. Okay. I'm a coward. Okay. So I don't like conflict. I'm a coward. I just don't want to do it. I, I risk, I love my social ease. I don't want, maybe I don't want to be mad at me. Maybe I don't want to take the effort. I don't want to feel the tension that's going to be in that room. I don't, whatever it is, any of it, all of it. Um, yeah, so just doing it in the first place. Yeah, Tracy. Yeah. Okay, good. And so I'm angry. Right, right, right. Yeah, certainly. And that anger really provides a lot of momentum. I mean, that can drive you to do things very, very quickly. Yeah, very good. What else? What other fire stoking behaviors are the easiest to fall into and the gentle restorative behavior is the most difficult in practice. What do you think? Huh. 
Uh, yeah. 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 My job in confrontation is to coach someone up so they see things the right way. Getting behind their eyes, understanding their perspective, asking questions. Eh. Right? That's what you're saying? Yeah. Good. Really good. It's good to be, certainly good to be aware of that. Um, okay. Let me just very quickly here. I've got two minutes. Let me go through... Um, let me go through this next section uh, very quickly. So Matthew 18 is the very famous passage about um, confrontation in the church that ends in church discipline. It is certainly not uh, to be understood as the only way to ever do any of this, um, but is a representative uh, example. And if you'll look at Matthew 18:15, it says explicitly, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So what are some of the practical elements of gentle restoration? How so? First, one of the practical elements we see is keep things as private as possible for as long as possible. This means not going and outing someone for their sin or what you think was their sin, you may be even wrong, in front of a large group of people. Sharing someone's sin as a prayer request, that's just dressed up gossip. Um, invite telling other people about it uh, at your dinner party or whatever the case Maybe you want to keep things as private as possible for as long as possible. Second, you want to speak face to face when possible with phone calls or maybe even Zoom. Now, Zoom is, adds a different uh, element uh, as a second option. As a general rule, you want to avoid using emails and texts. And why is that one of the primary reasons for that? Yeah, it's impersonal, which sometimes which leads to what? Huh? It's, well, yeah, maybe it's one way. But what's the danger in the written word? Yeah, who said it? Implied, yeah, implied tone. You read something like, huh, they're being short with me. They're like, no, like they just type short sentences. Like, I, you know, they're not necessarily being ugly or being short with you. It's just, sometimes it's difficult to tell. You want to be quick to listen and ask questions that discern the heart. Okay, you can see the what, but not the why. Maybe this person did something because they were totally confused about what they were supposed to be doing, or they thought they were saying, this instead of this. Um, ask open-ended questions. Talk, talk to me about this. What's your understanding of this? I saw this, how, but you had said this, but you did this. How, how, do we put those, how do you put those pieces together in your own thinking? Let them tell you. Okay, Give them an opportunity to do that. And then finally, always make sure to bring in the hope of the gospel um, when appropriate. And I don't mean preach anyone a sermon, but don't leave someone feeling condemned even in their repentance. There's a way that someone can repent um, and ask for your forgiveness, and you give them your forgiveness, but it's kind of someone, someone kind of still owes you and is in your debt. It's like, I forgive you. Now, get to work. I forgive you, and I'm gonna pull, I can possibly pull this card back out at any second to remind you about how much I've forgiven you and just how much of a great person I am for forgiving you. So just take it, you know, understand what a great person I am for forgiving you, how magnanimous I am. Understand, uh, you know, how bad you, you know. And, and there, so there's a way to leave someone feeling, feeling condemned, even if they've asked for repentance and you somehow, and, and you have granted that. But if you're doing that, it's maybe not clear. Either you, maybe you, maybe you don't care. Maybe you're like Noah in some cases. You're saying, well, I don't really care if they ask for forgiveness. But you know what it is when someone comes groveling before me? Opportunity. 
opportunity to exercise control and manipulate. Um, and here they are. Oh, well, here they are coming to me asking for these things. They're putting the ball in my court. So I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to say yes with a frown and kind of a disappointment with some ties to the future. Okay. It's like a kind of a contingent forgiveness, perhaps. Bring in the hope of the gospel instead. Again, not to be confused with preaching the gospel. Talk about grace. You talk about the delight of forgiving someone. And if you aren't there, then, then say, I'm working towards that. Don't give cheap forgiveness. We got way, way too many cases in relationships where someone said the words, I forgive you. There hadn't been any forgiveness that actually happened. They said, I forgive you because they don't want to feel socially awkward by saying, I'm not ready to forgive you. And then all of a sudden, this other person is wondering why they're still holding it against them. Well, it's because they never actually forgave you. They just said they did. So be mindful of that in these kinds of confrontations. Okay, we're two minutes over. The Sunday school teachers are going to be so upset with me. Let's pray very briefly. Um, Lord God, we pray that you would allow this to um, absorb into our hearts some of these very challenging things to have courage to do the things that we know we need to do. Be with us in our next hour, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you.